0: You're listening to the Spiritual Awakening Show. I go by Brent Spirit, and this is part 17 of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. I recently had a chance to sit and have a great conversation with Jessica Eve of thegloriousbothand.com. One of the main focuses of Jessica's work is to address some of the misleading, sometimes even dangerous teachings and ideas found within the Neo-Advaita and non-duality spiritual scene. On her journey she came to discover that teachings which place too much emphasis on escaping the material world, the body, and the ego, are incomplete and a toxic form of spiritual bypassing. Since then, she's been on her own healing journey, working to reconnect with herself, the community, her body, God, and her ego in a healthy way. She's also been experiencing kundalini phenomena, something that Neo-Advaita teachings often dismiss which we explore a bit together in our conversation. Our paths look similar, and so chatting with her was a real pleasure for me, especially considering that I too have been critical of neo Advaita and non-duality after being stuck in some of those paradigms for a few years myself. You can watch the video version of our conversation on my YouTube channel called Brent Spirit. Be sure to visit the other sections of this series for more info about navigating your Kundalini Awakening journey safely and smoothly. You can find more free content like this at BrentSpirit.com. Now, let's dive into this conversation with Jessica Eve. Enjoy. Jessica is a very interesting person that I was connected with recently. And what I found through her work is that she has a very strong and passionate interest in addressing some of the challenges that arise on the spiritual path, particularly to those that arise in the non dual and neo Advaita scene. Now, if you've been following my work, following the series for a little bit, you will have noticed that recently I put out some talks also critiquing the neo Advaita scene, uh, particularly addressing why they don't always acknowledge the validity. Or existence or the importance of the kundalini phenomena why they don't always acknowledge the importance of healing of self-love of addressing the emotional issues that we have and after i put out that uh that talk I was connected with jessica and i thought wow here's somebody who's speaking my language who understands exactly what i'm talking about and so we connected and i thought you would be perfect to have on the show so thank you so much for joining me today we're gonna we're gonna pick this bone together with uh, the Neo-Advaita scene. We're going to unpack a little bit about Kundalini. It's important, it's significance. Uh, we're going to talk about self-compassion, talk about healing, talk about community and the importance of connecting with other people, human beings in the world, in the relative world, as opposed to, you know, transcending it, leaving it all behind, pretending as if, you know, there's no self here. There's no <clears> I, there's no me. We're not going to do any of that stuff today. We're going to get right into it, be humans, talk all about the human experience, and hopefully there are some out there that understand what we mean when we're speaking about the issues in New Advaita. And if you're not familiar with that, that's okay too. There's going to be a lot of uh, value here, I'm sure, that uh, you'll be able to get from, from our conversation. But uh, let's just get right into it here, Jessica. Tell us a little bit about your spiritual history, your background, Take us all the way back to when you were a child. I know that you'd mentioned in another interview that you did that you were having spiritual experiences, sort of meditative experiences. Tell us a little bit about that. Paint a picture for us about some of the challenges you faced along the way, some of the solutions you found, and bring us up, up to about today where you are now. And we'll kind of unpack things as we go.
1: All right. Sounds good. So yeah, you you brought it back to the early days. So I guess I could describe my my earliest experiences as, and there's a woman named Susan Seagal, and her book is called Collisions with the Infinite. And I really relate to that because I just from a very young age had these sort of sudden um, like openings to just the infinite sort of uh, void on either side of birth and death. Um, and it was extremely terrifying for me. And um, became something that I really avoided for, um, for a lot of my life until I later in my 20s sort of started being drawn towards that kind of like beyond again um, and discovered non-dual teachings um, that were really about transcendence. And I think maybe you could say encountering that void or that infinite uh, ground of being, if you will. And it was really the message was that that's what you are you're not who you thought you were you're not a person you're not a body you're that infinite expanse so it was a you know a twist on what i'd been experiencing like oh that that's me that's my real self so there was a lot of um a lot of practices related to dissolution um physicality wise sense of self wise and really um I guess becoming more automatically um, identified with more of that sort of boundlessness and less of the the self, the personality. Um, But the like ideologically, it was very much about, um, I always sort of sum it up as no self, no suffering. This notion of liberation via self-obliteration Um, where the kind of the solution to everything or the solution to being human basically is to um, destroy the sense of the one who's suffering. Um, So it's very much about self-abandonment and kind of detaching from the goings-on of life, which has its pros and cons, of course. Um, But that got to a point where while I had been, you know, offered one of the most profound sort of feelings of relief and peace um, eventually led to just this kind of zombified shell of a person experience with a real kind of deep sense of soul loss um, and of apathy and indifference and the biggest thing being that um, I really lost the ability to engage in in relationships with other people um, because I think for me, what I've realized is the big thing about it is that, that the, the oneness experience that it offered was sort of this oneness of dissolving. You dissolve the self, you dissolve the other. So you basically kind of cancel out relationships. Um, And so I'd really lost sort of that relationality and that feeling of, you know, there being these rich, robust sort of, um, you know, distinct individual entities on either side. Um, And so that's when I started recognizing um, the reality of spiritual bypassing. um, And it was at a, a retreat that was called the Great Befriending. And that was Jeff Foster and a guy named Matt Licata, who I really recommend um, for self-compassion. But they had both come from a similar background of the self-detachment and self-negation. And we're now saying, hey, that's misguided and that's unhealthy. What it's really about is self-love and self-befriending. And that was such an utter shock of like, oh, my God, that that sounds so much more... um, so much more healthy in what it's about. And so that created this sort of massive upswell of just intense grief and emotion around having kind of kicked myself, uh, kicked myself into the trash for so long um, and having lost so much of myself when instead I could have been learning to love myself more. Um, and what happened from there was the moment that I started even just trying to fake it till you make it with a self-compassionate voice um, because that wasn't something that I was familiar with. To me, it was like self-compassion, like what what the hell is that? Um, And so the moment that I started um, creating and cultivating this voice of kindness towards myself, there was just this massive opening of so much of what I know I had repressed during that um, kind of that that phase of trying to simply rise above and dissolve, you know, all of your pain and your suffering and your history, all of that flooded to the surface. And with that came, I mean, the most destabilizing period of my life. But the thing about it was that I knew it was showing me, it was showing me that if I wanted to flourish as, a, you know, a person in this life, which I had started to realize is what I wanted to do that if I wanted to do that free of all the limitations that had been, you know, conditioned into me, that I had to face all of these, all of these wounds and all of these things that I thought that I thought had disappeared through Neo Advaita that were all still there under the surface. Um, So it was like this Pandora's box. And so that had a lot of the, the physical components, but it really brought me, to the preciousness of emotions and of the sacredness of of sorrow and of grief and of all of the all of the things that I had kind of been taught, um, I needed to just escape from. Um, so, yeah, I mean that brought me into sort of the waters of spiritual crisis and learning about that, um, really understanding kind of that that the period that i think of as bardo which is between that death of of the old and that emergence of the new and just how tumultuous that is and i know with kundalini that's often the kind of the experience that's happening um,
0: right that, that's the, really fascinating there's so many mm-hmm. parallels between our journeys yeah. even as a child i had very similar inclinations towards this transcendent sort of dissociative state of course, yeah. at the time I couldn't put words to that. I did, I remember, um, experiencing some trauma, and I thought, "Oh, I'll just, I'll just escape to the void." And I learned yeah. this new trick, and that became my safe haven. And yes. so, like you, I think I had a predisposition as I became older in my in my teens, yeah. early twenties, to be, find it, within the new Advaita scene, within the non dual scene. Oh, this is perfect. This is exactly what I I feel within myself. And now there's like a whole system and structure. And on top of that, I can use this and become enlightened. And I can, you know, I'm enlightened now. Oh, okay. I was just using this to escape trauma and suffering right. and pain of the body. And now I'm enlightened. Oh, this yes, is cool.
1: Okay. It's very on top.
0: Right. Right. And so very similar to you at a certain point, my relational, my, my relationships were just very like dry and empty and superficial. And I was deep down longing for real connection, but then I gaslit myself, told myself, oh, that's that's ego. That's ego's yeah. desire and attachment to other people. And I need to maybe just further dissolve my ego because I'm not yet fully exactly. in the non-dual pure awareness state, right? Yeah. Did, you, did you have a similar experience like that where things were coming up, but then you used your spirituality against yourself?
1: Definitely. What you mentioned that really resonates is there There was this conflict with me. There was this notion that I was um, following from different people online that I was trying to understand things from that were basically approaching meeting all of the wounding and the trauma um, as a means to an end to the final death of the ego. So, the idea was that the reason why your ego is not fully dying is because there's all this stuff that keeps pulling you back into the sense of self. So the more you can um meet all of that and dissolve it all, the sooner you can be, you know, totally free from ego. Um, so that was very confusing for me and sort of like that pull because the other the other voice was saying, um, that this is this is an invitation back to embracing." the ego and being able to live um, more free and to flourish more with a healthier ego and being able to really like more consciously create yourself in your life. So I completely relate to what you're saying.
0: Right, right. There's a great teacher I love, Matt Kahn. And the way he describes it is that we want to have an integrated ego. Yeah. When we're in suffering, we have an inflamed ego. So it's almost like it's protruding it's red it's swollen we want to get rid of the inflammation so that it's a little bit more flush with the rest of our system you could say as opposed to this protrusion but it doesn't mean dissolve it completely it's addressing the inflammation around it right and and like you mentioned that comes with self care self love uh, befriending ourselves, befriending the ego, right? If if you have some some sort of wound or some sort of inflamed part of your body, you befriend it, you treat it with care, with love, right? right? You don't cut it out of your body per se. Right? right. I really love the words that you used where you said the the sacredness of emotions, the sacred, I think you, I think you said the preciousness as well. Yeah. And that is so Far on the other spectrum compared to the way that sometimes emotions are described within um, spiritual circles emotions are the ego, they're a problem they're signs of lower consciousness lower vibration and here you are saying that they're precious and I completely relate with that I I have so much respect and honor for my emotional system especially as as I develop even as a man in this world where emotions are you know Looked upon as something weak, but um, I I really love that you said that. And with the kundalini process, that's what I recognized as well. This is, yeah, this human experience is so dynamic, it's like a full Mm -hmm. spectrum. All the emotions are there, and all of them are sacred not just bliss, not just peace, not just joy, all are sacred, grief as well. And I'm just curious, you mentioned that once you Sort of recognize this need to befriend yourself, your emotional system, your spirit, your soul, you could say mm-hmm. all of it became came flooding to the forefront, all of the emotional things. This seems to me to be synonymous with the Kundalini experience, right? Things become come flooding up to the surface to be addressed. So, how did right. you manage the flood that came up? I know you touched upon it briefly, but were there any particular attitudes? or practices that you found were were useful for you to address these emotions?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I mean, it was really fucking hard, especially, you know, dealing with this kind of tear between um, wanting to repress them and wanting to allow them to, to come out so that I could, again, you know, um, heal them. So I think for me... One of the biggest things was about release, because in Neo Advaita, in a lot of the the non-dual teachings that are very much about kind of like, you know, treat what's coming up with just neutrality or just try to dissolve it into the, you know, the awareness or whatever. Um, sorry about that. Um, that this was really me needing to release all that had been sort of covered over beneath the floorboards thinking it was gone. And so realizing how much emotional, almost like emotional responses to life throughout those years of Neo Advaita that I had just kind of pushed down or covered over and all of that was coming up. And I, I was realizing the need to, again, to release that. And so what I what I really found, what I discovered was dance and movement. So instead of um, like seated stillness meditation, um, I I really found uh, a great help in in movement. So ecstatic dance, I don't know if it's something that you're familiar with. Um, stuff like that where it was just really about just moving your body and getting stuff flowing and moving with it. And honoring it in that way was so different from what I was used to with those really, again, like those stillness-based types of meditation, that this was more about flowing and release um, and bringing things out to the surface and letting them express themselves.
0: Right, right. As you say that, I'm reminded of Nataraja, Shiva, in his dancing form, right? Hmm. He's, uh if you're familiar with that icon, there's- nope. Uh, it, it's um it's shiva and he's he's dancing he's the dancer right and i may be there may be many different interpretations of it i'm maybe not even maybe making up my own interpretation yeah. but within the the yogic system shiva like within the system that i describe in this series here we speak of shakti as uh the the relative dynamic force mm-hmm. and then shiva is the absolute stillness spaciousness the void awareness consciousness, right? At the top of the crown. But there are depictions of Shiva dancing, right? He's not sitting still in meditation. There are depictions of him is still in meditation. And mm-hmm. there's also depictions of him as a dancer, like how you're describing there's yeah. dancing happening. And so sometimes I look at these icons and I wonder how have the Neo Advaita circles interpreted all of these icons, do they just think these are all just meaningless and misled and and incorrect? You know, why is Shiva dancing? I always wonder, you know, are they interested in looking into some of the meanings behind these sorts of things? Why does the yogic system have so many different gods? So many different mm-hmm. depictions of the feminine, for example Kali, who's fierce, who's angry.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: And still she's revered. Do we say that she's in her ego, because she's experiencing anger and rage, do we say, "Oh, Kali, you need to transcend this. You need to sit in meditation and find the spacious awareness, find non-duality." No. So I always, I'm just curious about how, how some of the the these circles pick and choose things that suit them, right? Because there are non-dual, transcendent teachings within all spirituality that speak about mm-hmm. what we're talking about here, leaving the body behind, leaving the world transcending emotions and finding peace, but that's not the full system. That's a segment of the system. Right. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily have a question for you. I'm just, I'm just ranting. You've got me fired up a little bit here. Um, But, but back to the dancing, it's Mm -hmm. uh, I just put out a recent, recent talk about channeling and I spoke about dancing itself. And I said that channeling, whether you're doing art, dancing, writing, speaking, whatever it is, is a much more effective meditation than sitting still and transcending, <clears throat> excuse me. Mm. The reason for that is because it it's a meditation that you do as a human being with your body, with your senses, with your experience. True. And in the case of dancing, like you're saying, it's emotional as well, right? Yeah. So did you find that this brought you back into the body, back into a place where you had a new way to relate with yourself, with your emotions, with your senses? Um, and how, 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 does that look like for somebody who isn't necessarily inclined to dance per se? What else can they do to have a similar experience to what you're talking about?
1: So such a great du- dual question that you have there. Um, okay, wait, I'm thinking about the last one now. So let me get back to the first one. Um, coming back into the body and the senses, like you're just reminding me of something that brings up a lot of emotions. Yay. Um, hmm that one of the things I realized was how how difficult it was for me to experience um, physical, like, sensual intimacy um, because I'd been so kind of disconnected and because there wasn't, like, a full sense of self here who could receive that touch, for example, that that was a really huge source of, like, grief and fear. Um, and so a lot of what I think that I was um, working with was a bit of like a freeze response, like the freeze and the flight response of leaving the body, um, disassociating with the body. And so the movement definitely brought me back into my body, but for me, it was a lot of, it was needing to move and flow rather than that sort of like, kind of, you know, just come into the stillness, like we're saying, um, be sort of like restricted in that way. So it was a lot about, Um, coming into the the movement of the body and unfreezing it Um, and then what you asked about how people who aren't into dancing could do some of this so it's funny because I also wasn't into dancing so much before I would say and there were times when I was just so you know overcome with um, painful emotions that like I literally just threw myself around the room you know it's like just shake like shake your body, jump up and down, roll around on the floor, hit your bed, whatever you have to do, you know, that it's not about needing to be like a beautiful art form. Um, And I think, you know, I'm not going to endorse Osho in full, but he has some meditations that are dynamic meditations where it's about like, again, like the shaking and the jumping and stuff like that. So you might be able to find some movement type meditations, but in general, I think it's just about just moving and, whatever you need to do with your body to get it sort of activated and doesn't have to be in a group or with music,
0: you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Osho did, did have some, some very fascinating dynamic meditations, which I believe he uh, maybe didn't create, but brought forth because he found that this is what people of our time or that time needed sitting still in meditation. Yeah. Not possible for somebody who's fired up on, Cortisol and caffeine from working 80-hour weeks, right? They need to shake it off, right? And so yeah, they need a new adaptive uh way to <clears throat> to to meditate and and to address their evolution and consciousness. Um what you're describing here is in line with the Kundalini phenomena known as Kriyas, right? Which are the the spontaneous movements of the body that involve perhaps spontaneous vocalizations spontaneous dancing spontaneous yoga poses spontaneous stretching um, mudras with the hands and and people experience this to varying degrees and there are some who just don't know that they're kriyas they just say you know I just feel like stretching and so they begin to yeah. stretch and there are some that I'd oh. say like you know I've I've become I feel so irresistibly called to stretch I'll do it in front of people in the grocery store at work I it just like it's just so I'm compelled to do it and it feels right. It feels like what I need to do. And it's synonymous with what you're saying here, which is when you were, you know, allowing yourself to, I think the words that you use were do what your body needs to do. That's what Kriyas are surrendering to the intelligence of the body. So what can you say about the intelligence of the body and its innate knowledge to carry out this healing work, to carry out its own evolution? Do you think that this is something, something valid?
1: I think it is. And you're, you know, you're, you're pointing me to reflect on some things that i haven't which is awesome i think that what you're saying with the kriyas and i you know what i experienced was maybe like kriya light like i had some like twitches and tremors and things like that um and it does seem like there was an intelligence of like the body starting to like unthaw itself and there's some kind of obviously there's some kind of like profound, unfathomable intelligence around stuff that's stuck, that's like unwinding itself of its own accord. Um, So, you know, a lot of people say, like, trust the process. I, you know, I know that's sort of a, a complex thing to talk about. But just to answer your question, I do think there has to be some type of intelligence behind it for it to just suddenly start to Release these knots and in blockages on its own, and that's why I think it's so it's so terrifying and destabilizing because it's just doing it on its own. And then you're like, oh, that was the trauma from there that I ignored. Like that's that disappointment that I never grieved. That you really, yeah, it's it's really releasing stuff from some some type of yeah. Again, wisdom, innate wisdom, can't right. explain it.
0: Right. It it is rather mysterious beyond our understanding. I think it transcends our our intellect. It's something that we have to surrender to. Um, I I like to describe it as the same intelligence that knows how to digest your food. You eat any type Mm -hmm. of food, your body knows what to do. I don't know anything about enzymes and digestion, but I'm pretty good at it. Right. (laughs) You know, in the same way, my body is also able to heal itself. If we get out of the way and... Let it do what it needs to do, and in, in the way that you're describing, right? When you when you were saying, you know, you're letting the body do what it needs to do because it knows, and that's that's what I feel is the kundalini process. Um, it's the intelligence of shakti. It's the intelligence that has been animating our body this whole time, just emerging to now take us to another level. And I've described it in the past as an evolution, in the same way that the caterpillar evolves into a butterfly. In the exactly. same way that a tadpole evolves into a frog, yep. people don't know that, but we also have another stage as well, which is maybe to be a spiritual human being, a divinely inspired human being, a transcendent, but yet fully human uh, yeah. being. And many mm-hmm. people are, I guess, living as if they're caterpillars, don't know that they have access to being a butterfly yeah. one day. But the body exactly. is trying to take us to this place. The intelligence of the entire universe is trying to bring us there. And... It's it's trying to bring us there together as well. And so that's why I think it's brought us together to have these types of conversations mm-hmm. around this because we support each other in our own evolution. And I know that we were speaking earlier, you mentioned a little bit about collective healing as well, right? So mm-hmm. we've been talking so far about individual healing, but can you speak a little bit about your interest and in your work in healing the collective in terms of a community, the world, et cetera? What does that look like for you? Where's that all going?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I do want to start with where that started. So at that retreat that I told you about where it was about befriending rather than abandoning your pain and, you know, your your inner wounded parts, that what was happening that had never happened before was, first of all, like this invitation to grieve, but to grieve in public and to grieve with 30 other people grieving. So you know, it was just happening naturally that people were having all these different epiphanies about repressed things. You know, of course, I was going through this massive like, oh, my God, I've been bypassing and it's really all about self-compassion that I was grieving in a way like m- the loss of my own self. But, you know, it was like naturally holding hands with the person next to me, um, a lot of like hugging and, you know, looking into each other's eyes and this warmth and this collective grieving. um And, uh, I guess I'm just suddenly this comes to mind is that, God, I don't, I think it's Francis Weller. I don't know if you're familiar with him and he talks about the wild edge of grief. Um,
0: no, but that sounds like a really descriptive title. I like that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the whole idea, and I think it's that book, um, is that in the past people, you know, it was more tribal than people mourning and grief was something that was honored. It wasn't just sort of pushed away, do it behind closed doors, like there's shame in people seeing it. It was something that was done collectively. Um, They were grief circles and things like that. And so that really opened me up to grief being sacred um, and to um, just the, the power of doing that with other people. So something that I've really, that's really become a big part of my spirituality and the way that I face suffering is in tapping into um, a shared, a shared relational, interpersonal, interconnected um, sort of web or dimension of reality where whatever I'm facing inside of myself, I can sort of at least I attempt to and sometimes succeed in tapping into sort of the universality of that. And then when I have that feeling, there's that sense of I'm not alone in it. And also that it is a natural part of the human condition. But there's then just sort of like this outpouring of compassion for that recognition that, you know, there's thousands or probably millions of people around the world right now sitting with similar feelings. Compassion for them almost brings in compassion for myself. And there's this bigger, you know, holding field of of it. Um, And yeah, that's been transformative. So um, try to connect it to the rest of what you said. What I've been doing, or what I've been working on is starting up a support group, like a peer support group for people who are specifically going through um, the challenges of having fallen into a lot of pitfalls in the Neo Advaita and some of the, the non-dual scene that's, you know, so impersonal and so depersonalizing um, in sort of facing the grief of the, the loss and the isolation that that created in um, connecting with other people. Because when you have that sense of, you know, I'm the only one who's going through this. Also something is wrong with me. You don't get a sense of of validation that there's other people Um, that have been where you have and are where you are. And so there's been a ton of people who've been messaging me that they're you know desperate for something like this. And so it feels like um, a really important thing to do because I think that healing, we have to go through it alone in many ways, but we also shouldn't have to go through it totally alone. And I think that healing um, from my experience now definitely is let's say supercharged and also more meaningful when it's done collectively with other people.
0: It makes perfect sense. I mean, that's yeah. why I was really excited when Kate West had connected us, because I thought, yes. oh, there's somebody else out there who is experiencing the same sort of uh grief that I that I've been through. Now, with that said, um I, I'm it's been many years since I was yeah. within the non-dual scene. The Kundalini oh, really just drew curious, me. curious.
1: Sorry. Like how many years roughly was that um
0: about eight years ago that was when I was really in the midst of this no self yeah suffering like you said your words really I really like that that's about when I was in the midst of it but um
1: you've come a long way
0: (laughs) right but there it was still so significant that it's still um, something that's uh, I'm passionate about, you could say. And so when when I like I said when we were connected, I thought, oh, this is perfect. There's somebody else who speaks this language. Because the other sort of reluctance I have about speaking about this is that the people that are caught up in the there's no me here, all there is is awareness, are very mm-hmm. vocal and they come for you with pitchforks at times. Yeah, you know, do. right? You're delusional. You're caught up in phenomena. This is all ego. This is all. Nonsense that we're talking about, right? We and I've had people reach out to me, mm-hmm. um, basically telling me that you know I'm I'm being misled. Kundalini has taken me to a completely wrong direction. Whereas, Humanity, right, right. It's it's and it's it's absurd. But yeah. um, back to what you were saying about the collective emotional experiences together. I really feel that we are social beings. Of course, this is nothing. This is nothing new or unheard of, it's it's it just makes the most sense, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, we are inclined to grieve in private and, and hide it and that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. I think that makes it harder to even grieve in private now because we're shamed to have these experiences exactly. in public. That shame stays with us when we go into our room by ourselves. It's not like we're now, oh, now I'm free in my room by myself and I can have a full blown emotional experience even in 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 our solitude we become stifled as well so it it translates over across the board if you're able to be open with your emotions in the way that you're saying if you're able to to grieve with others uh then it makes it so much easier to go into solitude when those times come yeah do this work as well you reminded me of an interesting experience that i had that i kind of i think i shut it out a little bit because it was so weird but I was at like a a uh, a music festival. It was about, mm-hmm. about a year or so after like some of the initial major, major kundalini phenomena that I was experiencing. And we're at this festival and it starts really raining really, really hard. And so a few of us random people just ended up in like one guy's tent just to take shelter. People were mm-hmm. very open. And he thought, oh, okay, you know, we're all just hanging out in here. Nobody knows each other really. And then he says, he he was like a channel. He was very, very in tune. And he says, you know what? I'm being called to lead a sort of meditation here. Wow. And we all just sat in this circle and he just leads us. He just says, you know, just breathe, just breathe. And I became hysterical, just bawling my eyes out. <clears throat> and everybody there was having a certain emotional experience to some degree or another. And I felt so safe in this community yeah. of people that I didn't know. And I was having this right. full full emotional release and when it was sort of things started to die down everybody lay down and took a nap and then there was one guy who found blankets and put blankets on each of us yeah and he just left and it was the strangest experience in the bigger picture you know if i tell this to an average person like what the hell it is so weird right But it was so, so healing and relieving to know that I can have these emotional experiences in the company of others. And I just wanted to to reflect back to what you're saying. It's it's absolutely true. Like what you're offering there to give people the space to have these experiences together. So important. So important. And and this is what we need. And it contrasts so much all of the spiritual attitudes of emotions, ego, body, relative world, physical world being something Mm -hmm. in the way. Of our awakening no it's not in the way experiencing these things are our awakening exactly so thank you so much for that work um of course towards the end i'll i'll get you to speak a little bit about where people can connect with you some more um the links for all that will be in the description as well if you're listening and you want to have a look now um so let's talk a little bit about i'm just curious do you have a sort of emotional connection with God, with hmm. do you have some sort of devotional experience of your spiritual path? It's okay yeah. if you don't. I'm just curious if that's a part of your your worldview at this point.
1: Yeah, it really is. Um, that's a big part of it. And what's happened for me is this. Let's see if I can explain it, but it's this experience that. Everything is an expression of what I I would call the divine or God. For me, that's a word that I relate to. Um, And instead of that being just what's behind or beneath or beyond form, it is form. It's everything. And so when everything that you look at is that, and you realize that you're an expression of that and you're an expression of that, that there's just been a profound sense of at times like i started using words at times that were devotional and almost like christian i'm like where is this coming from like rapture and like it feels like you know holy union and that sort of thing it, it so there started to be a feeling of relationship with that whereas in the past it was like i'm dissolving into that now it's like wait no i can actually commune with that and that has created i mean such a profound experience of life um and yeah it's i mean it's really paradoxical as well because knowing that everything is one but then yet there's a relationship um that's it's opened up a whole new world of almost like there's a relationship between something that's also one um but very much a feeling of um of a, a devotion and a rapture and But yeah, like sometimes just like this ecstasy, but there's something very relational about it to um, experiencing everything as an expression of God or the divine in a real sense of um, also like wanting to care for it, wanting to care for each other and myself as God. And it has felt to me a bit more of a a shift from sort of the Eastern paradigms to what I found to be in some Christian mysticism in Sufism and Kabbalah where there's the divine imminence and where there can be a feeling or a calling of kind of participating in the revolution, not revolution, sorry. Well, revolution, evolution of God um, and having more of that relationship with God and, and loving, loving God, because God is even the suffering has been my experience that now it's like, I mean, I, I can't tap into this all the time, but I felt that I could bring on self-compassion so much more strongly when I could have this feeling that, you know, this grief is God, this, you know, aching, burning sensation in my heart is also an expression of God and like wanting to, wanting to care for that. Um, so yeah, thanks for asking that. Cause that, that has been a really big part of my ship.
0: Wonderful for me as well. Yeah. With- Neo Advaita non-duality, there was a lot of activity in the crown, which had no, it was very dry, no ecstasy, no bliss, no emotional, nothing dynamic in the way that you just so described. And even in your description, there was a feeling of excitement and passion coming forth in the way that you're expressing yourself. You could see it in your eyes. Yeah. That was all missing in the Neo Advaita scene. Definitely. And it's very easy. For some party who's stuck in transcendence to say, oh, that's just phenomena and attachment to the body and the ego that is clinging to love or ecstasy. It's fleeting, it's impermanent, and it will bring you suffering when it goes. But if we look at the yogic system, for example, they speak of sat, chit, ananda, right? Ananda means bliss. And bliss isn't felt up here. It's felt here. In the body right so mm-hmm. can you speak about how important your body is in your spiritual experience of life and your spirituality itself and contrast that a little bit with how much the body is negated and yeah. discarded within new Advaita and non-duality
1: yeah that's really really powerful i mean i think it does come back again to To having the the shift into experiencing myself and other people as incarnations of the absolute or the void whatever that it's um that sense of yeah being like a physical animation of that um and then physicality is actually what you know that my body and your body and you and me that we're not just that we're vessels for that, but that we actually are manifestations of that. And so my body is its body, you know? And so it's like wanting to express that and the body being so precious. Um, In Kabbalah, there's a term Shekhinah, maybe it's Shekhinah, which is the indwelling of God inside of you. Um, And so I, I do really feel like you know, the disembodied path was liberating to its own degree, um, but it wasn't a fullness and it wasn't, um, like you said, it wasn't like a dynamic richness. It wasn't relational. There was a real kind of distancing and dissociation. But now for me, it's like really embodiment. It's really immersion in this down to earth human experience. But that sense that the transcendent is like brought down into the physical, like into the earth, um, and then wanting to really experience and explore the physicality of that rather than just the emptiness of that.
0: Right, right. And I, I've spoken about uh, Shekinah as being the, to me, Kundalini within the Kabbalic, Kabbalic? yeah Kabbalah system.
1: Kabbalistic. Yes, so it's there. Okay.
0: Kabbalistic, yeah, Kabbal- Ka- Kabbalistic system. Yeah. The Indwelling of God. Right. So in, in this series, I speak about how this isn't a yogic thing. Kundalini process is not just Indian. It's not just Hinduism. It's all yeah. over the world. It's universal. And we see it there right. in the way that you're describing. It's going to ask something, but uh, it's left me. Oh, yes. OK, so I'm curious. Part of my the way that i've seen why neo advaita why the transcendent personhood denying spiritual circles have taken such a grip i believe that it has to do with the suppression of the feminine mm-hmm. i believe that has to do with patriarchy yeah. do you have any any comments about this any feelings any reflections about this
1: definitely i was i was thinking about it because i mean to be honest I mean, in general, Enlightenment traditions and religions are pretty patriarchal, um, but especially in the Neo-Advaita scene, it's, you know, it's very populated by middle-aged white men. Um, and there are women in it, but those women have also mostly come from that lineage of men. Um, but what I have thought about in terms of, I mean, I think even renunciation itself is a very male a very male thing. Um, And of course, that men are, and boys are conditioned to not show their emotions, and that emotions mean weakness, and boys don't cry, you know what I mean? So that I feel there becomes this real sort of like crusade or conquest against vulnerability, um and against sensitivity. And so when you start to look at it from that lens, like, I think you really see like, kind of like a tragedy that's going on there, right? Is that it's like this, almost militant sort of continuation of the conditioning um, that says that you shouldn't be vulnerable, that you shouldn't show emotions, um, and that there's, I think, like a real pain behind that that's not being seen um, in that kind of, you know, need to, to squash or repress what could be flowing freely but has been taught to you as something that should be suppressed. So I definitely see the male perspective on it, and I think it's a really important a really important theme to to be brought to light around the, the conversations around neo Advaita being harmful,
0: right? I I see it as as a young man myself, with trauma, with conditioning, with with a body, with pain, with desires that were unfulfilled and whatnot. I saw neo Advaita yeah. non duality, the transcendent, uh, spaciousness as a solution, right? The other solution would be to address my issues, but that's scary, right? It's not (laughs) supportive. Right. Exactly. Right. Especially as a man, it was either okay, I can cry it out or I can deny and suppress the tears. Which which what am I gonna choose? Well, I'm gonna I was I was inclined to to transcend and to negate and to to tell myself that all of that is weakness and this will make me a more masculine uh man right the ultimate masculine man who's completely stoic completely neutral right and so there's a great appeal there for those who i've heard it described hate themselves right if you hate yourself you can change yourself or you can escape yourself
1: totally right yeah And you can also, I think like it's interesting to see it from the male perspective where you were like, make me more sort of like of this stoic man, manly man. For me, it was almost um, a reaction to my own. And it's not just feminine, of course, right? Like I'm not downplaying the fact that men have profound sensitivities as well. But it was a real sort of reaction to the pain of being so deeply touched and moved by life, that I always felt that I was, you know, that my emotional um, sensitivity to life was, was so, what caused all of my suffering. So here it was sort of offering me this way to be less touched and less moved. Um, So perhaps there is some degree of like repression of what's maybe more natural in, for a woman, but I think both of us will attest to the fact that there's, you know, that there's female and male between within everyone.
0: For sure. For sure. So that leads me to a, a a question I have for you. Yeah. Was there anything useful, beneficial that you got out of those transcendent paradigms, transcendent teachings and perspectives? Was there anything that you've continued to, to sort of keep in your toolkit at certain times?
1: such a good question yeah um you know it's something that i sit with all the time because in the end it became you know the the downsides outweighed the the benefits that i've really tried to understand you know what can be carried over from it and i think what i've come to realize for myself is that any of the things that i got from it that i think contribute to long term well-being I could have gotten without any of the notions of um, uh, disidentifying with the ego and re-identifying with, you know, the awareness or whatever it is, um, whatever you're going to call it. Um, And so, I mean, the main big things that I think were so, um, I mean, stunning about it was the quieting of the mind. You know, I always had maniacally frenzied, uh, Ongoing monologue mind that drove me insane, the quieting of the mind, um, the quieting of the mind. And then there was also a sense of, and, and I think this now is a really problematic message that everything you need is within you, though it does have all of it's really a double-edged sword, because it really did give me this feeling of, you know, I can source my needs from within. So there, there was a greater um, I mean, I'm trying, sorry, I'm trying to like pick out what I've carried over now. Um, I think I want to say probably is being able to see your conditioning from a distance and to be able to recognize that our limitations are, are constructed But I would shift the way that it's looked at to say that instead of seeing that it's all a construct to minimize it and to get rid of it, to be able now to harness that if you can, to see that because it's all constructed, you can deconstruct it and reconstruct it. So I would say, yeah, that there's that if it's framed in the right way and done in service of of reconstruction in in a healthier, better way that that ability to see um to see your conditioning as a malleable construct
0: right as opposed to just something problem something in the way of the awareness Yeah, there's something there that can be transformed
1: exactly right? and Instead the word is there the, yeah yeah
0: transformed yeah, yeah. right form you yeah. want to appreciate the form As you're describing that, I had this visual, and I think it describes my experience of what I got out of of Neo-Advaita, non-duality, that sort of Mm -hmm. paradigm, which has stuck with me. In the beginning, it was like there was an eyeball above my head watching everything, (laughs) right? That very transcendent escapist, very freeing and liberating, watching all the trauma and everything. Now it's like that eyeball is right in the center. Everything is around Mm -hmm. it. All the phenomena of the world is around it, and it's immersed in it. Maybe Mm -hmm. that even... The eyeball is maybe connected to all of that. So there's awareness, but it's not separate from the world, from the phenomena, from the experience. And I can still abide there and be human, but also have a little bit of me that's a little bit spacious. I don't want to say distant, that feels too cold, but a little bit of spaciousness.
1: You know what? It's really great that you say that because what I realized when I was recognizing the need to befriend myself and to heal and turn towards what I've been repressing, I realized that I did have a resource. And what I had was that resource of the time I liked when people refer to it as like the non-dual holding field, that you could have this, um, this this, greater space in which to contain all of what's arising and that's painful within that, so that it's there, but you're less threatened by it and more able to, to hold it. Um, so I think if you do harness that, like you said, that spacious awareness, if you harness it to heal rather than harness it to escape or to get so much distance that it doesn't matter anymore, um, that that can be a huge resource, but it's really a choice of how you use it.
0: Right. Right. I would argue a little bit. I want to argue with you a little bit here. Yes,
1: please.
0: yes it is a choice, but in my experience, eventually the body, the pain, the conditioning will draw you in. You can't escape for too long. Eventually something will happen that brings you back into the body. Have you recognized yeah. that? Like like there's some people who maybe put on a show about how they're so transcendent and nothing phases them. But I think behind closed doors, they're experiencing some sort of hardship. Oh, and,
1: yeah, for...
0: and it's not that they're necessarily choosing to escape I don't think they have a choice something is going to draw them back into the body back into the world yeah often in very painful ways
1: yeah I think that just to clarify what I meant when I said that it's a choice is that let's say for example um, when I first had an awakening to that spaciousness and that you know let's say ground of being on its own that There could have been um, a paradigm that I could have chosen if I knew it existed, where that was something that I could um, harness and tune into in order to meet suffering rather than choosing a paradigm that says, you know, dissolve into that so that, you know, you can detach from that stuff. So I just meant that it's more of like we do have a choice over what we do with it. Um, but a hundred percent, you know that people, I mean, it, it is just bullshit that people present themselves as just you know, not experiencing any suffering anymore. I just think it's like you know it's it's a pretense and it, yeah, it's it's complicated, but definitely a hundred percent agree with that, kind of like behind closed doors thing, we're all human
0: it, It's really true. and I think it was. Scott mm-hmm. Killaby, who's a, a non-dual teacher. Yeah. Great, you know. great guy. Uh, sometimes I follow his stuff online. Mm-hmm. And recently he, he spoke about how he was when he like, you know, maybe like 10 years ago, he was doing the whole non-dual, non-dual transcendent kind of teaching. Yeah. He, he openly admitted that he was putting on a show. You know, he would look at yeah. people with these these eyes of like, yeah. there's nobody here. And like he'd do right. this like gazing thing when he was meeting yep. with people. So that mm-hmm. they can see inside that there's nobody there, but then you know, <laughs> ten years later, he's putting out really incredible human teachings about healing, yeah. about addiction, about addressing yeah, what's in this body. He's speaking openly about this pretense, this facade that goes yeah. on within yeah. non-duality, and so that's interesting because we've mentioned a few teachers now. I've been through this sort of trajectory. You've been through this yeah. trajectory. Scott Gillaby. Yeah. You mentioned Jeff Foster. Uh, there was another. Guy Matt something.
1: Matt Hicotta.
0: Yeah. So and there's handfuls. There's so many of them out there. Oh, yes. What do you think this, this is all about then? Why is this an ongoing pattern? Is it part of a larger unfolding trajectory? Or do you feel like for whatever reason things kind of lined up for us to kind of all go in the wrong direction together? What do you what do you think this is this is really about in the big picture? Why so many of us experience this self? negation self-escapism transcendence and now suddenly we're all fully here totally living in the hearts yeah willing to acknowledge the world embracing it what sort of thing what's going on here do you think
1: yeah it's a good question i think about that a lot it's like the that zoomed out view to really understand things more i mean i think that the draw towards it is really the way that i think about it is it's sort of like a symptom of what is suffering from the most which is um you know, meaninglessness, it's self-condemnation, it's nihilism, it's inability to turn towards things, a lack of self-compassion, all of that. So, of course, it's I mean, it's so attractive, right, to, to, to the bypass message and the no self, no suffering thing. Um, so I think it's it's really indicative of the sort of psychological crisis that we're going through right now, especially in the West, like suicide rates are like exponentially increased in the last, I don't know, five or so years, isolation and all of that and, and people really not being taught how to how to face this stuff. So I I see it as very similar to any other like avoidance coping mechanisms like drugs, alcohol, whatever else, social media. But it's just that these instant enlightenment things have exploded onto the scene that it's now an option that's really attractive. Um, But I do think if we're going to look at it in an optimistic sort of trajectory, that um, the fact that you know these teachings in the west have exploded in the last i don't know maybe max like 30 20 years that neo-advaita became really big that there's a lot of people waking up out of it and seeing very you know eventually um how it it doesn't actually serve healing the things that we're suffering from the most but actually kind of perpetuating it that that yeah exactly that it's maybe um, taking us through uh, a path that is attractive but doesn't serve it, but bringing us, like you said, towards the realization of what can can really help. And I think Kundalini is likely part of that. And it sounds like you have a really strong sense of it being Kundalini being like sort of this wise, sort of um, intuitive, naturally arising thing that's, I think, You know the the thing that's really fascinating is just how much kundalini is happening now right to people that have no idea they've never heard of it before that maybe there is something behind it trying to show us like that's not the right way you know we have to we have to embrace this we have to embody um so i think that's a beautiful thing and hopefully yeah that it is taking us ultimately in a positive route
0: right right that makes sense like you said it's the ultimate coping mechanism the ultimate escape you get to escape everything and say that you're enlightened and you know become a teacher give yourself a job yeah telling people that they don't exist
1: Right. right read the script right
0: right right exactly and that makes perfect sense why it would become so popular at this time
1: definitely and
0: of course you know like you mentioned 20 30 year window Nobody can maintain that for for 10 plus years No, consistently. The body, like I was saying earlier, the body is going to call you back. The world suffering is going to call you back into being a human being um, or addiction or something is going to crop up because it's unsustainable to be that right. eyeball up here, watching yourself, relating with other people. It's It's not sustainable at all. And I think that's why so many teachers recognize that in the same way that I recognized it we have to be returned back in the body. We have to befriend this body. It's not sustainable. So maybe mm-hmm. that's why this has been the, the the pattern that we're seeing across the board uh, when we look at the spiritual scene in the West, at least from yeah. a sort of a zoomed out perspective. You can't sustain not being in your body for too long, right?
1: Yeah. And another thing I just thought of is that a really positive aspect about the transcendence is that we do need to wake up to being more than just the material and more than just the personal self. But because it's so easy to use that transcendent, formless dimension of reality as an avoidance coping mechanism, we get trapped in that. But now that I think like we're saying, there's really this shift towards, okay, no, we're an expression of that and we're more than this personal form, but we are also that, um, that there is that real opportunity to to bring in the wholeness and to awaken to our, um, awaken to the the transcendent, but to bring it into the, you know, the imminent and the physical to bring it full circle. And so it's like, it's getting you halfway, but then it's stopping there. Um, and that's dangerous and it's incomplete, but, you know what we're looking at now is is bringing it full circle so it is taking us to that opening and that expansion um it just isn't getting you you know to to the wholeness and the full picture
0: right right mm-hmm. well said i think that for me at least having visceral experiences in the body of a spiritual nature yeah are what caused me to stop denying the world of experience, the fleeting world of experience. Yeah. So in the same way that you were describing ec- ec- ecstatic bliss and love for God, yeah. if somebody experiences what you're talking about, there's something in them that says, you know, this is not the same as the joy I feel, you know, when watching a TV show, this is something a little different. And I shouldn't dismiss it as being mere fleeting phenomena I shouldn't mm-hmm. dismiss it as something that I'm attached to in my ego it's something a little different would you say so this is what mm-hmm. happened to me I began to experience like love for God in my heart and no matter what I could do I couldn't like jujitsu my way out of those experiences with non-dual mm-hmm. you know blabber right oh there's yeah, no self yeah. there's no body there's no yeah. God and all that kind of stuff so, so do you feel that these direct experiences are necessary for a person to come out of being you know caught up in the non-dual thing or is there another way that they can sort of find their way out of that
1: um it's a good question there's two things that I want to jump on there because the first one is about let's say clinging to like a peak experience of that devotional rapture I think it's it's interesting to look at the difference between like the blissful kind of rapturous, joyfulness that you get from the sort of detached absence of self state in in the neo advaita and then what that's like when it's embodied for me what's so different with for me my kundalini and my heart opening awakening is that it's not all light and bliss and joy it's this really um there was this really different, shocking combination of, I, I like this word extagony. It's like there's ecstasy, but there's agony and they're together and it's bittersweet and it's pain. But there's um, somehow it's, it's coinciding with the divine. And so it's not just bliss and light. So it can still be considered a peak experience, but there's nothing really escapist about it, you know? So if you are clinging to it, I feel like it's in a way because you want to experience the fullness of your humanity and your aliveness. So there does feel like maybe it's uh, it's more healthier and helpful if you do want to have that experience more and more to hold them both together. And then you said, in terms of people moving away from Neo-Advaita, I do think a big part of it has to do with philosophy, because what the gaslighting, like we're talking about, like there's direct experience, but there's a shitload of concepts that you don't realize you've been kind of conditioned. You know, you've been unconditioned in one way, but you've been reconditioned to see the self as as less than the self is in the way the self is illusion, you know, the world of form is not real consciousness is prime, whatever it is, you know, these are metaphysical beliefs. Um, And so what I found is people who um, do get to a point where they realize that they're going through a process of metamorphosis or self transformation, or they want to engage with rebirth of self, that you're really, really trapped in this ideological kind of uh, network of beliefs that really prevent you or shame you or kind of stifle you from engaging in that reemergence. So for me, there's been a big need to explore different paradigms of non-duality, to deconstruct this, you know, that, that this kind of negation-based non-duality is what non-duality is. And instead, there's different paradigms of non-duality like that we're talking about that experience and, and understand there to be, um, you know, no division between the transcendent and the material. Um, and so really there had to be a way for me to understand and get on board with um, a mental map of, The phenomenal world being real and being a real expression of the divine whatever you're going to call it because being stuck in that sense of it's all like you said it's all an illusion um just really would prevent me from engaging with that process so being able to come into a new understanding that's still based on oneness and it's still you know mystery but it's um it's Yeah, it's really about the the manifest world being one with the, you know, the the formlessness, that that really was important to have a new paradigm that's also um, metaphysical to help you with the integration, you know, needing to be able to have a mental map of it that frees you from kind of the stranglehold of that map. That's like, you know, it's just your ego trying to come back, the prison of me, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, definitely, I think needing to have some type of um, conceptual framework.
0: Makes perfect sense. The way that I look at it is just drop Neo from Advaita. Look at Advaita. Look at the actual Advaita system. Mm -hmm. It speaks about Kundalini. It speaks about devotion, bliss, ecstasy in the body. Those aspects of yoga, Bhakti yoga, they're there. Neo-Advaita is completely removed from Bhakti, right? Sure. Like there's no devotion there. There's no love for God, ecstasy in the body. So if we look at the actual systems we can recognize neo advaita is it's like a it's a bootlegged version it's it's uh something is missing there right and that's why they had to add on that prefix neo advaita right so i i can see that yeah the philosophy itself needs to be revisited needs to be reconsidered yeah it makes perfect sense the those are beliefs it's just another belief system, you could say, right. masquerading yeah. as the ultimate non-belief system.
1: Right, right, right. right you get exactly. in these loops,
0: right? It's very hard to get out of these, especially when you're on, you know, Facebook mm-hmm. groups and whatnot, where it's an echo chamber. Any echo chamber for any topic, sports, whatever, exactly. politics. But imagine this echo yeah. chamber. You, you can't, you can't reason yeah. with any of these people. You can't even reason with yourself at this point. It's very, very challenging.
1: Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I think, really, I think people like a lifetime to undo all that.
0: Yeah, maybe maybe multiple lifetimes. <laughs> I I really love the word that you use there, ex agony. I I've, I think that's just brilliant. And when you were speaking about that, I thought of Jesus on the cross. Yes, that is a peak experience, you could say.
1: Yeah,
0: it might be difficult for some to grasp that. You know, the the dude's dying on the cross or he's crucified, right. but there's something transcendent. There's a there's a sort of very profound experience happening there. I mean, that's why it's such an icon around the world, you know, the the cross. Yeah. He's in a state of extagony, right? And fully, fully experiencing that pain in the body, fully human as well.
1: Right. Right.
0: And I think that might be why it's such an icon, because naturally we right. we see there's something there. There's something there that this this guy is experiencing and tapped into that we would like to model but of course you know we tend to just worship but he's modeling for us something there that despite what's happening around him he's still in a state of of ecstasy right I, do you have anything that, to comment about that?
1: well I think what that made me think of is just I don't like the word usefulness that's kind of cold but the way that that those kinds of states, they don't serve bypass and they don't serve escape. So while yes, they are peak experiences that you might cling to when you have them, they are really in service of, of welcoming and in service of, um, of including right. And of, of, of being more radically human rather than less human. So I think that they, they serve us and the, these types of peak experiences serve us much more in being able to include the dark and the light together, if you will.
0: Right. And I've had my own experiences of that with heartbreak, with illness, where yeah. I I described it as, I, I describe bliss, you used the word extagony with ecstasy. I use the word bliss and I describe bliss as not being an emotion. Mm. I describe it as more of something biological that can exist side by side, simultaneously with an emotion. So I've had blissful periods of depression, like full-blown depression, hitting all the symptoms in the DSM-5, whatever. But there's bliss there. Mm. Ecstatic bliss, like tear-jerking bliss. That is like I've taken a drug that's giving me this biological experience, but yet there's yeah. the emotion of bliss, or when I've been sick, uh, you know, I had food poisoning a couple times, horrible yeah. experiences, you know. But there's this ecstasy that you describe. I feel very, very close to God in these experiences right. because the ego is in a state of such weakness. Of there's no resistance there; it's just total surrender. I feel very, mm-hmm. very close to God, and after having gone through a few of those experiences, now. I mean, I say this now when I'm feeling good and everything is going well, but I get a little excited, you know, <laughs> I get a little excited knowing, oh, okay, I've got COVID. All right. I'm going to have to sit in my room and ride this out. Okay. Huh. I'm going to have a little experience. I'm going to, this is my sadhana now. Right? Yeah, There's something, I've always kind of been this way. I kind of look for God in, in in difficult experiences, especially. And that's where I've I've had like some really peak experiences as well. Like yeah mystical experiences in the midst of like the worst sickness, right? Heartbreak, all that kind of stuff I, I, ex agony, I really like that. I think you should coin that term. I think you should uh should How do, do, I something do that, with that. yeah you I have I, to get a
1: I, patent on it
0: <laughs> I don't know, but that's really a great way of describing this experience of fully human, but having that spirituality that is giving you. Some perks, right? Yeah. There are some perks.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Some might be listening to us here and we're kind of trying to bring them out of their transcendent state. Yeah. But we're trying to bring you out of the transcendent state into the body where there are perks, right? There's still ecstasy here. Don't worry. Of course. You give up that non-dual perspective. You're not going to lose anything. You're going to gain everything.
1: Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That it's a both and, you know.
0: Right. The both and. So with that, let's talk a little bit about how people can connect with you, what sure. you've got going on. Um, I'll put all the links in the description of the video as well. So cool. where, where can people connect with you if they would like to maybe be in, be in touch with you, send you an email, yeah. chat. Do you offer any 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 uh, any upcoming meetings or anything like that?
1: Sure. Well, the website is thegloriousbothand.com. And there's a contact form so you can send me a message. I love to hear from everyone. Um, I have a newsletter. That's the first one will be coming out soon. So there's also a link there to sign up for that. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of groups, I'm I'm uh, right now coordinating um, the first meetup for a support group, mostly for people who are coming out of that um, of the neo Advaita kind of self negating, derealizing, depersonalizing um, type of spirituality, um, just to connect with one another, but um I just you know I love to hear from people and I'm you know there's a lot of people that want to just chat one-on-one you know uh, just casually and I I love doing that as well um if anyone has a personal story that they want to share that they might want to you know have a conversation about or get out there um love hearing about that too um yeah also a YouTube channel the glorious both and that you can also find through my website so yeah those are the main the main ways at the moment.
0: Great, great. So the glorious both end links will be in the description. I'll try and tag your YouTube channel in there as well. If you'd like to connect with Jessica to find a uh, uh, somebody to to chat with a little bit about some of the challenges that we've been speaking about today. I think that community that that uh, group meeting that you're you're planning to to put together, I think that's going to be so powerful for so many people to come together. And express similar things to what we've been seeing here, and yes. I can imagine. Now, maybe it's not my place, but I can imagine that evolving into something pretty, pretty incredible, where no longer are you just addressing people's past issues, but now we're looking forward. What, what, what can yeah. we we heal together? I think that's exactly. that's something pretty exciting. That uh, I'd be curious to see how that unfolds for you. I'm just curious. Before we go, can you speak a little bit about the both the glorious both. And I think that's a nice way to sum up what we're talking about today here.
1: Yeah. I mean, first of all, I think it was Carl Jung. I've heard a few people use it and then eventually realized that it was him, but it is, yeah, so beautiful. But yeah, I mean, that's really what it's been about for me is going from that either or, Um, you know, either you can be a self and suffer or not have a self and suffer, for example, or there's only oneness or there's only separateness. And it's a very divisive, non-duality right that's very dualistic but to coming full circle to realize that the transcend the spiritual and the material are one um that we are expression real expressions of the formless the absolute etc and in general um you know i think what what we're suffering or what creates a whole lot of the problems in the world is that black and white binary thinking um so the both and is really about you know, being divinely human, like, like you said before, I think, you know, um, equally human, equally divine. So I feel like that's the, that's the full circle. That's the whole package. um, And that's the direction I hope that, that we go in collectively spiritually and otherwise.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jessica. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I think uh, this has been very healing for me as well to finally get a lot of this, this uh neo-Advaita resentment out of yes. my system. Purge, hopefully.
1: Purge. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so hopefully I can put this to rest now and like I said, focus on on the future, future. On what's to come, focus on yeah, being exactly. fully human, fully divine. Yeah. Thank you so much for for providing the the conversation today, providing the context, giving me a lot to reflect on. Hopefully Thank there's you. there's people out there that have uh got a lot of value out of our conversation today. And of course, be in touch with Jessica. If you have any any stories you'd like to share, um, I'm sure that uh, she'd love to hear from you. Be sure to check out her links in the description, thegloriousbothand.com. And you can look forward to some more sections of the ongoing Kundalini Awakening series. As well, if you have any interesting people like Jessica that you feel would be a great guest on the show, please send me an email and I would love to have them on. Thank you once again, Jessica, for your time. Really, really appreciate your insight, your wisdom, and I hope that we can keep in touch. Maybe we'll have you on the show again sometime. All right. Thank you. And until next time, much love. Peace.